0: Hey everybody, it's Gene Marks, and welcome back to the Paychecks Business Series podcast. I'm speaking in just a few minutes with Nicole Wallace, who's the anchor of Deadline White House and MSNBC. Nicole was the former communications director for George W. Bush. We we had some time to talk recently at a recent online event uh, that Paycheck sponsor called the Business Impacts of the 2020 elections. I think you'll really like this conversation. We're going to talk about certain opportunities that she sees for businesses coming up, particularly under a new administration and the elections impact on small businesses, as well as some other things to consider working from home as she was doing uh, with the violin playing behind her. Um, Some thoughts on her thoughts on startup trends and, and both of our thoughts on cash management advice for you. As a business owner, to help you navigate through the next few months and into 2021. So, Nicole Wallace, anchor at MSNBC's Deadline White House, coming right up in a minute. I'd like to introduce to you our first guest. Nicole Wallace, she's a best selling author, a political analyst, a top strategist for the GOP, and the former special assistant to the president and director of communications at the White House under President George W. Bush. She is currently the host of Deadline White House, a frequent contributor and guest host on the 11th hour with Brian Williams and Morning Joe and a contributor on the Today Show, making her one of the most visible faces on cable news history. So, Nicole, thrilled to have you here with us. Uh, And before... Anything else, and and, you know, to get into conversation, because I know there's a lot we want to talk about regarding small business. You're anchoring Deadline White House. You you had quite an interesting road to get there. So, as as as
1: briefly as you can, just tell us how you got to where you are. You know, I think my career parallel is um, best embodied in the Forrest Gump character. You know, I happened to be working for Jeb Bush when the Florida recount happened. I had happened to go work for John McCain, who I adored um, when I was White House communications director and Sarah Palin happened. Um, I was uh, tapped to work on The View and got fired after one calamitous season, um, refusing to clash with Whoopi Goldberg and Rosie Perez and, and Rosie O'Donnell, literally the only three famous people I'd ever really met. And then I really landed on my feet um by a stroke of, of good fortune and some great mentors at NBC and MSNBC and um worked my way up to having my own show and and, and recently they expanded it to two hours so I'm, I'm the beneficiary of um a lot of you know lucky breaks and, yep. and never really giving up and and having a lot of great people that I've worked for so I, I think the moment has helped a lot too I mean to to work on all those extraordinary moments makes covering this even more extraordinary moment more natural. There are the few historical parallels that they are are ones that um, I happen to live through. So it's really the culmination, and, and and I you know I feel blessed every day to get to be part of covering and covering the coverage of this moment. The background noise is very of this moment. I am brought I hear it. from home, like every anchor at <laughs> MSNBC. And um, and my son is in third grade, uh, a few rooms away, having a violin lesson, so I'm sorry. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm
0: hoping he's playing Vivaldi and not Kansas, you know, just <laughs> as a, a recommendation. Wow.
1: I was thinking this morning as I sat down, you know, when people try to create this era in film and television, they will try to make a soundtrack and they will probably come back and look at interviews like this to see what did it sound like when people were trying to work and and do speeches from home. This is what it sounds like.
0: Yeah, it's great. And it's genuine and all that. And by the way, you got your dog right to the side of you as well. Yeah, Yeah.
1: uh, what like screen, you know, (laughs) off to the right.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, so, Nicole, you know, it's, you know, this conversation is all about, you know, hope and optimism and opportunities. And, uh, you know, a lot of a, a lot of small businesses are concerned with, you know, a Biden administration that it would it would have an impact on on their potential opportunities. You know, he says he goes out he wants to tax just the wealthy or he wants to go after larger corporations, The corporate tax rate would be increased. And. You know, a lot of small businesses depend. I mean, my company, our, our best clients are some large companies, you know, and, you know, employees from large companies buy pizzas and go to restaurants and get their dry cleaning done at small businesses. So, you know, is, you know, again, what are your thoughts on that? Does that, does that have any kind of a, a limitation on opportunities for small businesses when you have a, a president coming in that says that uh, they want to increase taxes on the wealthy or on big corporations?
1: I think there would be a lot more to worry about if Joe Biden hailed from the Elizabeth Warren Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party. He does not. Right. I think that at this point he hasn't been sworn in, but he has committed himself to a more targeted sort of scalpel to tax policy, not blanket tax increases for every profitable business. That is not his philosophy. That is not what he believes and that is not his record. I have, as a Republican operative, been a part of branding the Democratic Party as bad for small businesses for more than two decades. At this point, I can say I, I'm not sure that's fair or accurate. I think that what you're talking about—companies paying people enough so that you know—some of that is psychology and the psychological True. impact of, you know, running a business in the time of a Republican administration that just wants to lift every regulation and lower taxes and, and, and Trump benefited from that brand. He also backed it up with some policies. I mean, they had a stated policy of deregulation that they actually administered through the council's office at the White House and all of the council's offices at the administration. And that is part of his legacy that is good. And that is right. part of why 76 million Americans voted for him, you know, and but Joe Biden has not run as a redistributor of wealth, the way Bernie Sanders did and Elizabeth Warren did. And I think some of his appointments signal that he's going to govern as someone acutely aware of the frailty of the economy. And I think that this question is also on corporate America. The country has been hit with a 9-11 attack size blow every day for the last seven days. I mean, we've lost almost 300,000 Americans and the things that we have done To try to sort of spare more loss of life, have hurt our economy. Joe Biden ran as someone who understands that, who wants to beat the virus without stomping out economic revitalization, and and you know we'll see. We'll we'll all get to watch it in real time.
0: So that does give me some confidence, and that's good. And I think that might be you know a a fair reason why small business optimism remains at a historic high. I think people look at it, uh, regardless of who they supported, um, they can see that at least with this next administration that. Um, th- there will be opportunities once we emerge, you know, from this, you know, from this pandemic. All right. Listen, um, I love the fact that we're talking to you from home. I'm hearing your son playing the violin in the background. We got like the stuff going on in the kitchen, the sunlight's flowing in. I'm expecting like the UPS driver to like start banging on your door. You'll see an,
1: him. He comes right here. <laughs> yeah. With an
0: Amazon package. Right. I, but, you know, you like millions of the rest of us have been working from home, right? So yeah, it is and, and- in a huge huge change in workplace culture this year.
1: And I think when you talk about the optimism of small business owners, I mean, there are all sorts of things we never knew we needed. I mean, my computer and my Zoom is on a stand that, that a small business made that they can't keep in stock. Right. I have one from my phone, too, because I don't always Zoom from my computer. Um, you know, small business, I try to, you can tell on Amazon where things are sourced. And, and I think there it is a massive change is an opportunity for people who innovate. It, you And as a consumer, you come up with things that you never knew you needed so desperately. I've also bought more gadgets for my kitchen. I now have a slow cooker. I now have an air fryer. I now have more cookbooks than I ever would have bought if I were living in Manhattan and could order takeout like this. Um, I think the next thing I will look for is some soundproofing, but it, it isn't a time when people stop. And, and that, let me just say, it is a privilege to get to work at home. So I think it is a more, um, a more divided and polarized workforce now perhaps it's a privilege to get to work at home and not everybody has that so I think you can expect just to bring it back to Biden a lot of the policy to be focused on people who don't have that privilege we've adapted we've adjusted and I, I think that the people that haven't are, are people that get left out when a lot of our jobs are ones that we can do from home.
0: Yeah, I agree. You know, it's funny too. Uh, you, you look at the impact of the millennial generation on all of this. I mean, you know, guys my age would always complain, oh, those people, they just want to work remotely. They want independence. They don't, you know. And, and I have some clients that said, like, thank God for their millennial employees because they push them into setting yeah. up these types of remote work, you know, connections, you know. Well, and so it, when the pandemic hit, they were like
1: ready to go. And I think they were proven correct. And, yeah. and they, it easily could have gone the other way. Yeah. I mean, in my industry, even when I'm back at 30 Rock, I can't imagine demanding that my whole team come back. If yeah. they would rather work from home, we've been at, our shift doubled very early in the pandemic. I started anchoring a second hour, which um, it doesn't seem like much, but in TV, twice as much time on air. A lot I mean, of content. For all the people that support you are producing twice as many segments, making twice as many bookings for guests, hooking up twice as many satellite feeds. So my team became twice as productive like this from home. So right. I think it's just a, it's just a slice of that, of that adjustment, but I think a lot of employers will look at whether um, the millennials had a point. You could be just as or not more focused and in some cases happier. I mean, it's noisy, but I love that my little boy is in the next room and my dog is behind me. Okay, I'm gonna throw a
0: number at you as well. And, and again, maybe you already know this, you probably do, but in the third quarter of this year, um, there was an 86% increase in startup applications, new business filings, compared to the same quarter from the prior year. Now, my belief is that a lot of these corporate employees that are working from home, they you know, remember how they were all so busy and slammed and you know, couldn't find time to do anything? Kind of seems like now they're working from home, they're able to get their stuff done and have a few extra hours to start up some yeah. side gig. What do you
1: think of that? I think it's amazing and it it says something wonderful and and I'm sure that that's happening at a global level but I would bet it's happening at a more accelerated rate here. You know, we do have this entrepreneurial spirit and it's a real opportunity for this new administration to sort of see that and boost it. I mean, that is part of the solution. And those people who were uh, at at home and maybe in some instances forced home, um, if they have, applied for a new business it's it's either solving your own problem if your job became insecure or creating new opportunities and new jobs and i think that's you know something to really nurture and make sure that it flourishes
0: you know you would also mention e-commerce i mean you're you know we're getting deliveries all the time we're buying i mean you know personal savings rates are up right i mean people yeah. are not traveling or going out and e-commerce sales are through the roof which
1: is another huge huge thing for small businesses It's wonderful. And I think that, you know, my dad had a retail store, so so it's bittersweet for me. You know, I wonder if this had happened when he relied on people walking into his two antique stores in Walnut Creek and Danville, California, and he would not have thrived. People don't buy armoires online. Maybe now they do. I'm sure through first dibs they do. But I think everywhere where there's a bright spot in terms of economic policy, if I were in the White House, I would say, well, well who, who, you know, you know, sometimes it is zero sum, especially when things are challenging. And I guess my, my only cautionary point on that would be e-commerce is great, but who are the losers? And I think a right. White House can celebrate the good numbers, but it is a White House's responsibility to take care of people left behind, behind that bright spot.
0: So yeah, so Nicole, I mean, you, I mean, you're right. I mean, a lot of people have moved online, and I think that you know, as e-commerce sales are growing, I think that it is another huge opportunity for you know small businesses. I mean, you, know, you take a walk down Seventh Avenue in New York, and you look at the the, the shops that are there today, uh, and you compare them to the shops that were there back you know, in the early sixties, yeah. you know, uh, you know, I, again, I, I don't know if you watch like Mrs. Maisel on Amazon, you know, and you see them walking that down is, the streets, yeah. there's right. There's, there's dress shops, there's shoe shops, there's, you know, all, or, yeah. yeah, all that stuff's being sold online now. And now yeah. it's been replaced by stores that are providing experiences and services, food and smoothies, you know, and, and haircuts. Not that I've taken advantage of those, mm-hmm. but those stores themselves are, um, you know, for businesses looking for, you know, retail opportunities, and you want to be brick and mortar, that's where the opportunity is and experience. But with with all of the, you know, with all of the debate about whether you know the Etsy's and the Amazons and the Ebay's have been good for small business, I truly believe that just just millions of small businesses have been created opportunities for entrepreneurs to sell stuff online, you know, out of their homes and out of their apartments. And,
1: I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I think that's right. And they should be lifted up and, and, and celebrated. And we should point people toward, toward them so they don't um, skip the handcrafted alternative to what they might buy um, on Amazon. I, right. I think, though, having a, a father who had two antique stores in retail, and my sister um, is a manager in retail now, it, it's just you can't turn a blind eye to how the pandemic has hurt them, how they dip in foot traffic has hurt them. And on my block in New York is a gym that's been shuttered since March fifteenth. It's a bakery that's been shuttered since March fifteenth, and a clothing store where the things they sell probably have moved online. So it is true that a lot of people are thriving. It is unknown whether they can afford health insurance and whether they have economic security week after week after week, or just enjoying this sort of um, rush to the, the e-commerce right now during the pandemic while we're all home. We want to make sure they survive after this period of working from home and, and quarantines. And then I think it is the job of a White House policy council mm-hmm. to make sure that the gym that's closed, that those people have made a transition if they choose to, or that they can reopen their gym when, when the vaccine is available widely. Because I, I just think it's, it's, as you warned earlier, generalizations have the um, danger of leaving some small businesses who did nothing wrong, through no fault right. of their own. They can't right. open the door, they can't pay their employees. I mean, SoulCycle, I was a regular at SoulCycle. Yeah. All those instructors have not worked since March. Right. So there are they're not winners and losers, they're just people that have been able to continue, and, and in your um, example, innovate and thrive. But still—it it is a White House's job to make sure that the people who through no fault of their own can't work have either an alternative or, or a way back when the pandemic ends.
0: Yeah, it's funny, and you mentioned SoulCycle, and and with all the struggles that they've had, and then meanwhile on the other side of the coin, there are uh, you know, there, there are you know, independent freelancers, the people that do the training, the you know, the, all that that have found work with Peloton or found work, yeah. you know, with uh, and, some of these online services, you know. And if you can
1: afford a two thousand dollar bike, you're not struggling in this pandemic. And it's a generalization, sure. but I but I I'm, I feel confident making it. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, again, it, it was a boon to, to those who were at, involved in Peloton, either making it, or shipping it, or delivering it, or as you said, teaching the classes. But I think you just have to always, again, it's from a policy perspective inside a White House, look over your shoulder and make sure that there weren't people that fell through the cracks. There were a lot of brick and mortar, you know, bike class studios with a lot of young people who worked there. And I would just want to make sure that they were able to transition to something else
0: this pandemic for a lot of my clients has sort of been like the last straw they want out, you know, and then you've got, um, you've got a growing number. We talked about this, you know, millennial generation that, you know, they're not just kids out of college anymore. These are people who've been in the workforce now for a good part of a decade and are prepped to, you know, to, to looking for opportunities. So do you think the opportunity, you know, if you want to get into a business, you know, um, it, you know, is it, is it starting up from scratch or do you think there are a lot of opportunities to just to, to buy an existing business? Do you see a trend going that way?
1: Well, I, I think that some of this goes back to the psychology. How do people feel about making those choices and those big moves in right. a democratic administration? And I think some of this is on this new White House and this new administration to make people feel confident doing that. Um, but I, I think that is is, is too, if I made a prediction, um, I don't even make political predictions anymore, so I'm not about (laughs) to start making economic predictions, but I think that is one of the tests that this Um, new White House will face, whether they can inspire confidence to make big moves and big purchases like that.
0: All right. So, Nicole, we're going to uh, I I do want to share a little bit of advice for our audience. I mean, people are running businesses. uh, They're trying to navigate their way through this pandemic and make, you know, grow their businesses next year. And so, yeah, people also ask me like, you know, so, okay, we're at the end of 2020. What advice do you have for small businesses to I mean, not only survive, but, you know, to, to profit and, you know, in the months and the years to come. So I do have a few pieces of advice. I'm putting on my accounting hat. I'm a CPA. So, uh, of course, you, have, you haven't figured that out yet just by looking at me. Uh, but first, I, I got to, you know, I, I do want to talk about financials and the numbers. OK, and, and I can only share with you what my best clients do. OK, and my best clients right now um, are not only looking at their numbers, but they're, they're, they're heavily into forecasting. And I don't care what size business that you are. But to put together, you know, just an ongoing 90 day rolling forecast where you're looking at your numbers year to date and then just you're know, stretching it out for the next 90 days. You know, the smartest people I've met, they, they don't um, uh, they don't like surprises, you know, and it's just so critical to keep track of every dollar that you have in the bank right now so that you can navigate your way through the next three months, you know. So, so, you know, Nicole, I mean, you know, cash forecasting is, it, it's a big deal. So, and I'm assuming that you would agree with that. I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on, you know, you, you know what considerations a business should be making when they're forecasting over the next few months. So we're talking policy and what's going on in the economy.
1: Well, I think that, you know, my sense, from, from, again, working in the White House and advising a president after 9-11 and then watching an administration navigate the waters after 2008 is that what businesses want and need most is certainty and i think sadly that is not available i mean right. I, I think the pandemic has made everything so uncertain but I, I, my advice would be to really cultivate reliable streams of information about economic policy partisan stuff aside you, you know watch whatever you want at night but in terms of economic information just make sure it's from a trusted source. In terms okay, 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 so where, where do you go? I mean, it, where if I'm
0: looking for some reliable economic data that's not politicized, um, do you have any
1: recommendations? Like where you will know, I get that? I, every morning and all day long, I read the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and then I get online and I read local papers because I think there's, there are national economic trends, but I think even the pandemic is a local story. And I think shutdowns have become pretty regionalized so you know my home state of california is 10 different stories um if you own a restaurant in los angeles your your life and your planning is different than if you own a restaurant frankly in san francisco or napa so i I think cultivating reliable sources of local news is really important right now too i think the other thing to do is to really talk to your employees i mean sometimes as, as a business owner you're trying to solve problems that have changed and so I would make sure, and that requires you to follow the healthcare news to really understand what a Biden White House is going to do with Obamacare. You know, the stated policy of the, the last White House is very different from the stated policy of this White House, and all that affects your planning. It's not going to happen quickly, but it, it does affect maybe not the 90 day projections, but certainly. The six month and nine month projection. So, I think being informed is the best way to do what you just articulated plan.
0: I think that is that that's great advice. And by the way, I'm going to add one other one's is um, I have a couple economics websites I go to. One of them that I really recommend to everyone is called Calculated Risk Blog, which is maintained by a retired financial guy named Bill McBride. And he puts uh, just every day, posts different economic metrics on there of what's going on in the world. He's been tracking certain metrics that track the economy. For example, um, every week he publishes reservations data at OpenTable, you know, the the app. It shows you, right? And like, obviously it's, we're like 60% nationally below what it was pre-COVID. But when you start seeing that spike up again, you'll know that things are recovering. He also posts um, every week uh, the TSAs, airport traffic numbers as well. Yeah. And he compares it to this time last year so you can yeah. see. So you're absolutely right. Having good economic data, it, it, it reduces your uncertainty and it helps you forecast. So, okay, that's number one. Here's my next thing that I've been telling a lot of business owners and really important. Um, you gotta watch out for your mental health. I mean, this is a, um, mental health startups right now have received, this was through the end of October, over a billion and a half dollars in funding. so far this year. It is, sadly, it is a wildly explosive, you know, industry, uh, because some of the things you mentioned earlier about, you know, about the stresses that we're under and working from home and all that. So, uh, you know, I, 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 tell me what you think. I mean, I have a few clients, one guy, I remember, it's about my age. He just revealed to me just recently that for the past five years, he's been going every week to see a therapist, you know, just, and he's a business owner. And he's like, you know what, I go, I talk to this woman about, you know, my business, my personal life, whatever, I'm paying her by the hour. She's a trained professional, no agenda. And it's been incredibly helpful for his mental health. And I'm curious, do you
1: do do anything like that? Or do you know people that do that? Or do you- I I have, and I should be doing it more. And I, and I, I do have people that I turn to because, you know, our lives change so much. And they have stayed changed, you know, after September 11th, which is, you know, in my lifetime, in my adulthood, the closest parallel to what we're going through in our in our politics and in our lives. Um, we had a very deep crisis and then a very accelerated recovery, we were urged to get back on planes to get back outside, we are now being told a very different thing from our leaders to stay at home. I think, and there's some reporting out just this week, that the mental health crisis is the fourth wave of the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah. And I think some of those, you know, their meditation apps that um, that are always advertised now on, on the gift guides, the Calm app, Headspace app, I think that if business owners start to treat their mental health the way professional athletes treat theirs, and if you pay attention to any of these meditation apps, you know that Tiger Woods and LeBron James are big advocates of and consumers of these strategies. And I think if business leaders and small business owners become um, consumers, of this kind of it's not self help but it's it's like it's like having a personal trainer but it's for your mental fitness not your physical fitness. I think it could really have an impact on that part of the economy, the sort of mental health tools. I think some of it is in the branding. I think right. if you turn them into performance tools and not you know, dial a therapist. I think business owner, I think it, it releases some of the stigma and we can say that it's bad that there's a stigma or we can innovate ways around the stigma. And the truth is in our society, there's still a, st- a stigma to mental health treatment. So I think making it about performance and stability and economic vitality is a great way for people to bring that into their lives.
0: Uh, it's great so th- let's recap you know you know what what we've learned first of all you know incoming administration um, you know is is may or may not have a big impact on small business depending on how well they can work with particularly the senate working from home has been an enormous opportunity uh, don't, don't belittle your millennial employees. These people have good ideas, they're older, they know what to do. Uh, it, it is, I think working from home is a benefit, you know, more so than, than anything else. And I think that as Nicole, as you raised, is, is, a, great, is a great thing. Uh, startups are an opportunity. We've seen an impressive number of startup filings. And that's not just from, you know, people that need extra money, but a lot of people working from home and have the chance to be entrepreneurial. Um, have I, have I missed anything? Is there anything else that you'd
1: like to share with our audience before, before we let you go? I mean, I think after this conversation, I I think the business that needs to be created is one, you know, they've got zoom backdrops. Um, I think they need zoom sound walls. Um, so if anyone can innovate their way out of uh, third grade taking place in the background, I I'm buying.
0: I actually don't mind it at all. I think it's real. (laughs) I think it's genuine. I mean, I think it's great. You've got a third grader there that's playing the violin and it's just, dumb. I don't know. It's just it's, you're not in a studio. You're at home. I think that real life. It. Yeah, it's real life, and uh, I think that's great. Hey, Nicole, thank you so much for joining. Nicole Walsh, she's the anchor of MSNBC's Deadline White House, on for two hours every day, right? So. Um, thank you for spending the time with us. Your, your, your insights and your, your opinions are, are very valuable. So thank you uh, we so appreciate much. it. If you'd like to see a full version of the conversation that I had with uh, Nicole here, uh, please visit paychecks.com forward slash works, W O R X forward slash webinars. And you can watch the entire conversation. My name is Gene Marks. Again, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.
1: This podcast is property
0: of Paychex, Inc., 2020, all rights reserved.